Well, good morning, City Gates. Uh, Mike here, and I'm going to be sharing and uh, from First Peter, continuing our series uh, from First Peter chapter three. I have entitled today's message "Christianity 101: Live It, Leverage It." So, if you would read with me, we're going to start off by reading uh, from verse eight to seventeen, and then I'm going to break down the passage uh, pretty much verse by verse. So let's read together, reading from the ESV. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when we are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we're going to start off um, and have a look at verse 8. <clears throat> and um, let me just start off with this, this passage here from verse 8 and make a comment before I, before I kind of open it up. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And I would just say this, that none of those qualities are automatic to the Christ follower. Those qualities are developed in the furnace of life, um, <clears throat> and, and they're not just something that we just say automatically. We grow in those areas. Unless we're intentional about it, and we put ourselves in, in environments where those can be developed, there's a good chance we could be a Christian for many, many years and still have, have no greater um, heart of sympathy or brotherly love or tenderness or humility. Uh, we could be very disunified with other people. And so as we look at this passage, I felt that this was a, a, a passage that I wanted to use as a big shout out to the power of community groups. And um, I think that it's safe to say, obviously, that during the last 16 months, not being able to, to meet in person on a large scale has taken a pretty serious toll on all of us. But one of the redemptive opportunities I think that uh, we've experienced has been the ongoing ability for us to still connect, whether it's live and in person, as we've done from time to time during different phases of these lockdowns, um, or virtually. Either way, the opportunity for us to connect with a community group, with a smaller group of believers, has been a game changer and a life changer, for, uh, uh, or maybe a lifesaver for, for many of us. So do we miss the larger? Do we miss the live and in the input and the in-person meetings? Of course we do. And they have a huge value, a very high value for us as Christ followers. 
However, all of these imperatives or commands that Peter is instructing the church uh, to grow in and to cultivate here can only really be practiced and cultivated in a smaller community of people uh, that have a lot of direct, honest and uh, conversations and really close contact. And I've never candidly been more convinced that the life of the church is found in smaller groups. You know, we're inspired and we're encouraged and God reaches us through the preaching of the word and corporate worship and, and you know, those hangout times afterwards. And that's super, super valuable. I just would never minimize the value of those at all. But the growth happens when people kind of drop their defenses, connect in a small group and allow themselves to be transparent before others. That is where... True growth happens. That is where the Spirit of God is able to walk in people's hearts and change motives and deal with issues. And so I just think that authentic Christianity is cultivated and thrives in small group settings. So let's look at those individual traits that uh, Peter is saying we should develop and I think there's some helpful things for us to look at and to consider. First of all, the first one was unity of mind. Now, notice here he didn't say uniformity. And I know we've all heard that. Unity does not mean uniformity. Get it? But the word here means harmonious. And I think over the last number of weeks, we have talked uh, before about the difference between essentials and non-essentials. And, um, you know, for the record, uh, for the record, Vaxa versus anti-vaxxer is that's a non-essential topic to you it may be essential but it's not essential or mask versus no mask non-essential as a christ follower when you live on the fringes and you embrace non-essentials as non-negotiables you lose your gospel sharing opportunities with people that hold a different position and for me, that has been one of the tragedies of this COVID experience is how Christians have taken non-essentials and made it to be absolute truth and have alienated themselves from others that hold different positions. You know, the non-negotiables are the cross. The non-negotiables uh, are the resurrection. The non-negotiables are Jesus is the son of God. Those are the non-negotiables. We, we won't fight over those. But when we make non-essentials, we make them essentials. Uh, at that point, we cannot possibly have unity of mind and we will not be harmonious. And in our small groups, as an example, we refuse to allow non-essentials to divide us. The second one here was sympathy. And the word sim uh, simply means suffering or feeling the like of another. And of course, sympathetic. An uncle in palliative care. A sibling's best friend who just lost their young husband to cancer. A niece battling addiction. A sister just diagnosed with a life-altering sickness. Someone's personal journey through cancer. Someone else's personal journey through a paralyzing illness. Several difficult family breakdowns and losses business challenges. 
What am I talking about? These are just some of the burdens that we have carried together recently to, as a small group as we have pastored each other through them. Um, as much as I like, I am a pastor and I get to know what's going on to some level in people's lives, I would never have known the pain that people were carrying outside of getting to know the people in my small group. And so uh, we get to pastor each other through those things. Whether you're an ordained minister or not, you get to pastor and shepherd your family members, your brothers and sisters in Christ through those challenges. You're there for them. You pray for them. You support them. You encourage them. You remember their situation and ask them how things are going. That happens in small groups. Thirdly, uh, we have brotherly love. And many of us will be familiar with the term philio or philadelphos uh, from the New Testament. It really means uh, fond of the brethren, fraternal and loving as brethren. So this, this idea of love, um, it's kind of a human love to, towards each other. Um, small groups have helped me and us not just to love as a response to the Christian imperative or command that we're supposed to do that. We know that we're supposed to love one another. And so that's a command. And so, of course, we can, we can almost have that over our heads sometimes, almost as an anvil. Um, but the reality is we're not just doing this or we're not just loving as a response to the commands, but we're also becoming fond of each other. We're not hanging out because we have to, but we're hanging out because we want to. And this is the incredible beauty of the body of Christ, is that you will start to get to know people that you would never hang out with in your everyday life. And you start to see the beauty of the church in a small group environment as you get to know people and they share their lives with you. And, and you realize areas in your heart that need to change or Pre, uh, presuppositions that you may have held about people or types of people, whatever the case may be, that is challenged in a small group as brotherly love is developed and fondness, real fondness for each other um, becomes something which you become so aware of and becomes a reason that you look forward to those gatherings as, as much as possible. Uh, we go on to tender hearts. Um, that's so funny because the original language, uh, tender heart says having strong bowels and compassionate. So we typically don't ask in the small group about each other's bowels, uh, but um, it is this, uh, it's a bit of a deeper thing than just sympathy, this, this tender hearted. Sympathy is the doorway to the deep compassion that we've experienced for each other in our community groups. So it's become the doorway to having tender hearts. You know, sometimes I think, maybe it's just me, but I, I think we become cold and hard-hearted to bad news. And we hear it and we just say, oh, that's tragic, but we move on. But when it's people in your own community and you see them carrying the weight of that, uh, you see it in their faces, you see it uh, in their body language, you, you know they're trying um, to be positive, but you know it's a huge weight. Something deep inside happens where you want to bear their burdens with them. And that again happens, I think, in a smaller context. 
And the last thing is uh, being humble-minded. You know, in this context, uh, we learn from each other. You know, um, I'm a pastor, but there's people in our small group that are way better at leading a small group than me. And, uh, you know, I love it when they do it because they do it so well. Um, different perspectives uh, are shared as different people lead meetings or lead a, a conversation in a meeting. Uh, nobody has the corner on all knowledge. Um, when we have humble minds, it allows us to grow as Christians. And I, I just think that these traits that, that Peter is saying, hey, you need to have these, that's not going to happen just because you wake up one day. This happens because you put yourself in an environment where who you are and what you are is challenged all the time. And small groups, I think, are the way that that happens. So if you can authentically state that you are growing in these areas by osmosis or by watching or attending a service once a week, parenthesis, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here that you are watching a service every week, or by just being with your family or your special Christian friends that you have great relationships with, if you can say that authentically, that you're growing in all these areas that we've just covered, you're certainly a better person than I am. Um, but to be honest with you, I may well be prepared to challenge your assertion that you're growing because I have never seen Christians grow outside of these intentional environments that they put themselves into. You know, when people are uh, very lackadaisical or very nonchalant about things like attending a small group or weekly gatherings, it becomes something that you just weaken little bit by little bit. You fool yourself. You don't think you are weakening, but the reality is, is you do weaken little bit by little bit. And I think it's important for us to realize that uh, we need to put ourselves in environments where we are strong, we are fed well, and uh, we are challenged to change. And as a result of that, uh, we're able to kind of look at the next part of the script, uh, part of the scripture with probably a more tools uh, in our toolbox to, to go through what it's going to talk about shortly. Let's go on to, um, to verse 9. And just before I read verse 9, um, <clears throat> as we develop these Christian virtues, you know, the humility and the sympathy and the tenderheartedness and the, and the brethren, love for the brethren. As we develop these Christian virtues together in community, it prepares us for the life outside. It helps us live it and ultimately leverage it. So verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And, you know, somebody wrote this, one, one author wrote this, this is how Christians get even. We don't get even uh, in traditional ways. We get even, we get even by not repaying evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but by blessing. And of course, there's many passages around that in the New Testament. I'm not actually going to go there. Um, but as we've looked through 1 Peter, there's obviously been a lot of common themes over the last number of weeks. Um, 
But we've had some really good conversations in our community group uh, recently about this inbuilt sinful drive to retaliate when we're hurt or offended or wronged. And in my case, um, uh, you know, other than the fact that I almost fell over there, in my case, I know uh, in my head the biggest story. I know that Jesus didn't respond when he was beaten and reviled. I get that. I know that. I know the innate and disarming power of blessing someone who doesn't deserve it. I've done it before. It's powerful. But my desire for revenge is often an instinct that is instant. It's an instant instinct or reaction that beats the textbook Christian response from my life to the punch. And, um, you know, we talked about that and, and we, we were chatting about it and just, you know, a simple thing like driving and somebody cuts you off. I mean, the obvious, you know, super obvious example. But what is my first reaction? It's not, oh, bless you. It's like rage. That's, they don't call it road anger. <laughs> they call it road rage. And I know what that is. You know, I, I, I remember hearing about somebody that I knew um, who had a terrible temper and somebody did something to him and he followed them to Montreal from, from like east of Toronto. I mean, I said, that's serious road rage. Um, but I, I think, you know, for all of us, we have our trigger points um, when we don't have a chance to, to, to script our response. And uh, those are the, I think that's the, the scary thing. When we look in our hearts and we say, man, I didn't, you know, I couldn't even almost control that. And so if that's the case, I'm going to go to retaliation. I'm going to go to uh, revenge. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to go to. But as a Christ follower, we get even when we don't do that. Somebody wrote this. Christians are free from vindictiveness because they trust God's justice, but they are free for blessing because they know God's goodness. Let me read that again. Christians are free from being vindictive because they trust God's justice, but they are free for blessing because they know God's goodness. I may have shared this story before, but I remember when we were buying uh, the piece of property that we built our home on a number of years ago, um, there was a, a scenario where we had to deal with a real estate agent and um, it didn't go well. We were dealing with the homeowner and he had a real estate agent the homeowner was terrific, uh, but the real estate agent and myself, we did not jive at all. And I felt like he was dishonest with us, and um, I was escalating in this meeting to the point where, and he was escalating. <laughs> and so uh, the problem was, was that the guy who was trying to sell us the land had to kind of intervene, not like we weren't going to punch each other out, but it was definitely on the escalation scale here. And so he ended up just calming us both down. And of course, after I left there, I was so angry and Edwina was, you know, as angry as Edwina gets, but, but I, I was, which is sometimes angry, by the way, um, but I was super angry, but I became super convicted. And um, afterwards, what happened was I felt like my, what I needed to do was just to basically renounce what I felt was being taken from me. So I remember phoning him. And as soon as I called him, he started asking, like he was super defensive right away. And I called him and I just said, hey, 
Um, and I, I just said, look, I, I'm just, you know, I wanted to apologize for how I behaved. And I want to just say, we're going to just let you, you know, we're going to go with whatever you said. And can we, can I buy you lunch? And um, he was, there was silence on the phone. And we ended, up, we ended up going out for lunch together and we shared our story. I think I apologized again. We shared our faith with him. Actually, that's how it ended up. That wasn't the, the, the plan. That's how it ended up. And uh, who knows to this day what happened, but I tell you, by the end of that, I certainly felt that um, I had blessed him. I, I had blessed him when I really wanted to curse him, to be candid with you. And so there's power in that. He was disarmed instantly. As soon as I apologized, as soon as I just came clean, I just disarmed him. And, uh, and I was able to open a, a door for me to, in some ways, I, you know, that way I was living it. And then I, start, I was able to leverage that situation to share my faith with him. So anyway, uh, I wish every situation was like that, but that was a good one. So I remembered it. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And of course, we used to teach this. Uh, we taught this uh, scripture to our kids with song. And every time I read it, I have a hard time not breaking, in, breaking out into a terrible song that I created all those years ago. But the boys still remember 1 Peter 3, verse 12. So uh, Peter is quoting Psalm 34 right here. And I'm going to quote from the, uh, read from a, uh, from a commentary. I don't remember which one it was. He wrote this, Peter quoted these statements from Psalm 34, 12 to 15. It describes what God means by good days. Remember the first part of that is, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to love life? Who doesn't want to see good days? But if I ask you what that would be, you would say, well, maybe it would be, uh, I don't know, a day on the beach or winning a lottery or, um, I don't know, something nice, a day on the river, fly fishing or something like that. Who, who knows what you would come up with? Whoever desires to love life and see good days. But the author says this. It describes actually in Psalm 34 what God means by good days. They're not necessarily days free from problems. For the psalmist wrote about fears, troubles, afflictions, and even a broken heart. In Psalm 34, a good day. For the believer who loves life is not one in which he is pampered and sheltered, but one in which he experiences God's help and blessing because of life's problems and trials. It is a day in which he magnifies the Lord, experiences answers to prayer, tastes the goodness of God, and senses the nearness of God. And so, you know, that would challenge our concept of what a good day may be. You know, think of Paul and Silas in prison. That's a bad day. Paul and Silas worshiping God in prison. That's a good day. You know, prison doors, uh, you know, they're, they're miraculously freed and, uh, and uh, they end up leaving the prison. It's a good day, but singing in stocks and, and, and chains, you know, with no freedom and maybe a death sentence awaiting them. That's not a good day. But in God's sight, it could be a good day. 
So very much uh, a reevaluation moment here. So certainly the encouragement to watch what we say from this passage in, in 1 Peter, watch what we say, operate with integrity, say no to sin, and to be peacemakers would profoundly impact how we all live as Christ followers. So live again and ultimately help us to leverage our lives. Verse 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You know, it's so funny as I'm reading this at first blush, verses 13 and 14 almost seem to contradict each other. Is Peter saying that if you do good things, nothing bad will happen to you? It seems like it in verse 13. But then verse 14 talks about suffering for living righteously. The truth is Peter knew that they were suffering and would suffer on this earth. But the ultimate vindication was and is from above. Christ's followers will be, will be persecuted. The scripture says whoever would live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So Christ's followers will be persecuted for following Jesus. But the only true and righteous judge will ultimately reward them or us for following him. We can only have no fear of them, nor be troubled when facing trials of our faith, when our life is being held together by a bigger story. If our hope is in this world only, when things don't go right, our life falls apart. But if our life is held together by a bigger story, by the reality that when this life ends, as we know it, we go to an eternal and exceeding weight of glory. We experience that. Then that allows us, that anchors us in a bigger story going forward and allows us to go through the difficulties in this life. You know, I, I was just, um, I was listening to um, uh, somebody sharing uh, a story. I think it was Nicky Gumbel in the Bible in one year. And he, he talked about uh, a young lady uh, who was, fearful of persecution and said to her dad I, i'm so fearful that when that moment comes if i'm if i'm if i'm persecuted for being a christian or if i'm i have to give my life if i'll be courageous to do it and her dad uh, this is cory tamboon by the way and her dad said to, to her uh, said cory when you are going on the train to amsterdam when do i give you the fare three months ahead two months ahead one month ahead she said no daddy uh, you give it to me on the day I'm leaving. And he said, God will give you the faith you require at that moment. And I thought that was liberating because all of us, when we think about persecution, I don't think anyone thinks that's a great idea. Let's do persecution. No, I think all of us realize that we would probably need more than we have right now to go through some serious persecution. And we close off with verses 15 to 17. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And so we live it, and then we leverage it. You know, a life committed to Jesus with, with him obviously living large in our hearts 
will lead to a life that is so different from those around us that conversations and questions will automatically happen. How come you fill in the blanks? Why didn't you? What's with you? You know, I think a life that we live that is representative and reflective of who Jesus is will create questions. And we said we must be ready uh, to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that lies within us. The answer when people ask us how, why, when, what is never because I am God's chosen one and you are a sinner. It's never that. The same way we should live it is the same way we should leverage it with gentleness and respect. We just want to make sure that if things go pear-shaped in us, in our relationships with outsiders, it's not because it's our fault. I was actually going to call this message, make sure it's not your fault, but I'll just drop it in at the end. We want to make sure it's not because it's our fault, because we're obnoxious, but rather we want it to be because our authentic Christianity is unbearable. It's unbearable. It's, you remember when Peter, when, uh, sorry, when uh, Stephen uh, shared in front of the Sanhedrin, you know, they stopped their ears when he spoke. They just didn't want to hear it because it was too hard. They looked upon his face and they saw the face of an angel and they just wanted to stone him because they couldn't bear it. And the reality is, I think, for all of us as Christ followers, uh, when we live it, we can leverage it automatically. It happens and I've had so many fantastic conversations over the years because maybe there was just a little bit that people saw that created a question. And, um, and for me, this is, a, I mean, I've always loved this passage. I'm surprised that I ended up with it, but I love this passage because I think it's something that I've, I've tried to live. Um, not, always, not always well, candidly, but certainly um, at the end of the day, I think the ability for us to respectfully and gently share the reason for the hope that's within us is a very powerful and disarming quality to be able to have as we live our life honoring Jesus. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to close off in prayer. Um, for you, if you're listening, um, if you're not part of a small group, I, I honestly think, why? <laughs> Just... I'd have to wonder. I'd love to sit down with you if you're not part of a small group and say, why do you feel it's not important for you to be part of a smaller group? I just think it's so vital, especially in the times that we live in today. But secondly, if you are a Christian and you're seeing some deficits here, I'm going to pray for you that those deficits uh, will be reduced and that you would uh, really press into this passage and, and allow God to make some changes in your heart. But if you are not a Christian today, and this is kind of just interesting or funny or weird, um, all of us who are, you know, Christians were where you were at one point. We were sinners. I'm still a sinner. But we didn't have hope. Now I have hope. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. And so I'm going to just pray that you would experience the life of, of God uh, invading your world in a real and tangible way. So would you join me in prayer as we close? 
So Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, first of all, for the power of the scripture. Thank you, Lord, for Christian community, which is unbelievably helpful and life-changing. And I just pray for those that are not involved in Christian community, that you would really work on their hearts to be a part of that. Um, for those of us that have deficits, we, we see the, the, the gold standard that Paul is, uh, Peter Arthur is talking about, and we say, oh man, I'm so far away from that. Lord, we're all far away from that. Help us to, to, to reduce that deficit or to narrow the gap, so to speak, uh, as Christ followers. And finally, Lord, I'm asking for those that may be tuned in today that are not Christians. Uh, I was there at one point so clueless to, to what this, this conversation would have been, so disconnected from the gospel of Jesus. Lord, would you invade their world with truth? Would you um, free them? Would you liberate them? Would you break into their world? Would you translate them from the power of darkness into the uh, kingdom of your dear son in whom we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sins? So Lord, I want to thank you for working through this broadcast for the sake of the church and for the sake of your kingdom. And I ask this and request this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. It's Justin here, and I hope that you guys enjoy today's message. I just want to remind us of a few things from uh, the scripture that we read today in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, which talks about five qualities of Christian relationships. Be like-minded. Think on the same things. Be sympathetic. Understand and identity, identify the feelings of others. Love one another. I think this one speaks for itself. Be compassionate and be humble. You know, the best way that we can live out these qualities is when we do it together in community. We have been locked down for the last year and a half or so, and we're finally at a stage now where we can actually get together. Can't do it on Sundays quite yet in the way that we would normally like to do it, but the way that we can, and which I believe is more effective, and really what we've been preaching about for the longest time is that we need to be a part of a community group. Let's get together where we can be um, close and intimate with what we share with one another and share each other's burdens. And uh, if this is just the perfect time to not shy away when things open up to get together. And I just wanna read quickly a, a scripture from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 23 to 25 from the message which says this. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the day approaching. The only way we can truly spur each other on and encourage each other is when we get together in person. And we just have a great opportunity to do that. I really want to encourage you guys, become a part of a community group, try out a community group. We have no excuses at this point. Um, and I can't stress enough how valuable and important it has been to my life and to the people that are a part of City Gates Church. And we want to give that opportunity to you as well. You've got nothing to lose, and I promise that you won't regret it. Let's have a great week, and we hope to see you in person uh, in the near future. Love and bless you guys. Take care.